How do you find joy? Well, she's right here. I would like to welcome you to season three of the Joy of Learning podcast. Hearing and elevating the stories and voices of others is of utmost importance in such an unprecedented time. These stories will challenge your perspective, provide encouragement, help you to see beyond the obvious, and resonate. So grab coffee, relax, and prepare for an opportunity to take joy in learning. I am thrilled to continue to highlight leaders in technology this month. One of these leaders is Elena Karen. My time with Elena was thoughtful and insightful. During our conversation, we discussed her book, The Adventures of Women in Tech. In addition, we also discussed ways we can recode our perspectives, encourage belonging, and also the future of work and motherhood. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and would love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send an email to info at takejoyandlearning.com. Elena Karen is an award-winning tech leader, author, and speaker whose work impacts many of our everyday lives, from Google search to ads, fiber to Google, grants, and beyond. Elena has been leading the charge to develop, scale, build, and drive team and product development that has seen a rippling industry impact. Elena has spoken at conferences and summits on technology, leadership, DEI, talent, and innovation. Her book, Adventures of Women in Tech, How We Got Here and Why We Stay, aggregates hundreds of stories on these topics as well. A follow-up workbook comes out in May 2022. She lives with her three children, husband, two dogs, and a cat in San Francisco Bay Area. So welcome to the Joy of Learning podcast. I am so excited to have an award-winning tech leader and also an author, the author of the book that I have behind me, but The Adventures of Women in Tech and How We Got Here and Why We Stay. Elena Karen, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with me. How are you doing today? Thank you. I am doing okay. Yeah, you know, every day is a little bit of a marathon. I've got work, I've got kids, I've got the whole thing. I even have my parents visiting tonight. Um, but it's all it's all working out. Yes. The food already arrived, as you heard before we started this. So it's all working out. Yes. And those are some of the moments that we treasure. It's like, man, things are going pretty well. <laughs> so it's always a yeah. great thing. And so, all yes. Happening. And then sometimes when you, when you think that then in the background, everything else is happening. And so, hey, it's all working out. And so you shared that you're, you are also a mother of three children. And so, yes. And so I, I, if it's okay, I was thinking about that in terms of family dynamics. How is that journey of being a mother um, of three children and especially being able to, inside of your career, be a leader inside of your field? I think that in some ways they really went well hand in hand. They do. They go hand in hand. And I think that I 
it's not like I treat my coworkers like children or my children like coworkers necessarily, but I think it was all about stepping outside of myself and mm. being open to how other people experience the world mm. and thinking from a different perspective. And I actually think that being a manager and a leader made me a better mother because I was more willing to say, okay, my kid isn't me. And mm. the way I'm motivated is not the way this kid is motivated. And I think that if I hadn't been a leader and seen that with teams, mm. I might not have seen that with my family as readily. And I think that's helped my marriage to some degree as well. Although that's always, that's been a journey of its own, of course. Yes. Um, because I don't know that we readily accept it with family as much as we're willing to sort of say at work, like, oh, that person just doesn't respond to that well, right? Yes. At home, you're more likely to be like, respond to it well, like, come on, <laughs> go ahead. Um, so anyway, I do, I think that they have gone really well hand in hand. It doesn't mean that there aren't days where I'm tired or frustrated or whatnot, but I do think that overall, it's helped me really figure out even things like prioritization, right? Like. I have to prioritize better because I've got so much going on both at work and at home. And so I think it benefits work and vice versa. Yes. And I love how you bring that in because sometimes I feel in our professional environments and home environments, we sort of want to keep them into these boxes when there is overlap. And so that's, um, it, that's incredible to hear. And so I also, well, you, of course, you've written an excellent book, um, The Adventures of Women in Tech. And so many of the women in, in the book, um, they hail from diverse backgrounds. And I think that that is the part that I really enjoyed the most about the books. Um, and it was culturally, geographically, and also socioeconomically. And so as you wrote the book, did this reframe your perspective on tech while listening to the stories or re-listening to them? I think that I went in intentionally looking for that diversity because I certainly represented parts of it, but I'd also seen other parts around me. And I felt like those weren't being recognized or talked about enough. You know, part of what we're trying to do in tech is to make it more diverse. And so a lot of what we emphasize is how it's not diverse. <laughs> But that means unwittingly, we're not being inclusive. Like we're not telling the stories of the diversity that we have. And I felt like that, especially over the last few years, was something that I was missing, that I was looking out and I wanted to hear these stories. I wanted to see ways in which people of all different kinds and backgrounds had navigated and found their place or how were they struggling and include that as part of the story too. So I think that it is framed that way because it was how I wanted it to be. On the other hand, when you look at the individual stories, I really do, like there are ones that still give me chills, right? Because you just think about that person's experience mm -hmm. and, and knowing that and knowing their story, it both gives you such a, a great feeling that they were able to navigate being the first Latina in their group and feeling like they didn't belong, that they were so noisy and brassy and everyone else was quiet and put together and figuring out that they 
didn't have to assimilate, that they could be hmm. the first, not hmm. the only, right? Hmm. And and hearing that journey and, you know, I retell it and retell it and every single time it gives me chills. But also the stories about Black women kind of really saying like, hey, I didn't come from a background where like, it was okay to take these chances. Like you were hmm. actually supposed stay in your lane and be conservative. And that's what was safe. And I think all of it, it's like I knew, but I didn't know, I guess is the best way to put it. And I wanted other people to know, but even so hearing the stories has given me such a better way to help others feel like they belong and to really know the detail about where our backgrounds and where the way we were raised and where all the ways our personality come together impact how we feel when we get into a job and how we feel when we get to tech. And I think that that is, I don't know that it's necessarily a reframing, but it's such a deeper understanding than I had before. Yes. And as I'm listening to you and even from the book, I'm hearing about, I hear the power of storytelling and how it's important to tell, tell our stories and make sure that they're elevated for others to hear. Um, it's in a way like being a historian and making sure that that history as time is going on um, is recorded and that we're able to actually um, hear and also experience it. So, and, and that's something for sure that I was able to take from the book. So, and, and that's powerful. <laughs> it is, it is super powerful. And I think it's probably no coincidence that I was a history major in college. I didn't, go into tech having a technical background. I came to it actually from a very almost holistic history and then actually being really interested in first person accounts of things during my time in college and really looking at local history in Virginia and seeing those first person narratives. And so I do think you're seeing that play out, right? A little yes. bit of where we started always plays out later. Yes. Yes. I mean, and that's a full, I mean, I don't, a full circle moment, it seems like, because most times we think that, oh man, how does this connect? Especially what we study in undergrad to wherever we seem to be professionally, but it's beautiful to see it come together. Yeah, I do. I think it's, it's a nice feeling to know that those things that you learned were seeds. And when I asked women, I, one of the questions I asked women when I interviewed them was, what did you want to be when you grew up? Yep. That's and I, I mean, nobody, I mean, most people don't say like, I want to be a middle manager at a tech company or whatever it is. Right. So, but what I found is like a lot of people wanted to be teachers. A lot of people wanted to be scientists. A lot of people wanted to be doctors. They wanted to help people. Yes. And so you see, you fast forward years and you see how those elements played out. And even if they're not using, for example, their degree, you see what led them along the way. And I do think our careers are often, they're not ladders, they're, you know, yes. hop and jump and all over the place, right? Yes. So sometimes you're going to do something and there's just no connection. But a lot of times you really do see that like some common thread was there the whole time. And maybe you don't see it until later, but I've, I thought mm -hmm. I saw it in a lot of women. Yes, that common thread that brings it all together. And it reminds me of when we, we always talk about there's a purpose for everything that we do, like there's a reason. And sometimes it takes looking backwards to see it. So 
true. I mean, and you bring up um, that, hey, you came from, uh, you were a history major. And of course, um, with being a history major, you, most people wouldn't expect to, for you to be in tech. But of course, your journey is laid out inside of the book. Um, but as I read your book, your voice and tone are geared to encouraging women of all ages um, and backgrounds to consider and pursue tech. So what are some tangible steps we can take to accomplish this? I think, first of all, making sure that as we're raising our kids, we're not thinking that it's not possible. I think that a lot of the heartburn we're experiencing now is from previous generations where we, and, and just to note, this wasn't necessarily a bad thing at the time, but you really were relying on women as the societal caretakers. And because of that, you really heavily emphasize either no career or the motherhood career, which is legit, um, or yes. the more caretaking careers, nurse, teacher, yes. et cetera. And then there were certain careers that were thought of as really successful when I was growing up, doctor, lawyer, et cetera. Yes. Engineer was not on the list. And so we're just kind of figuring that out now. And I think yes. making sure that we recode ourselves in all mm -hmm. the ways that we're used to in terms of making sure that we're not saying these little things that we're used to saying about, you know, I'm not good at math, Barbie, or whatever the examples people will always bring up, right? Like, th these are just so kind of baked in that, like, yes. a girl might not be good at math. Well, why? When I look at kids, I don't see that, actually. I don't see that mm -hmm. play out very much at all. It's kind of something that we're layering on. So I think we have to watch out for that and think about how is that working in education? How might it be working out programmatically in the way we think about things? I think the second piece is, but there's still going to be different numbers for a while, which means we still have to bake in some more support as your daughter, sister, yes. mother, whoever it is, is going through a technical road. And I will note that, by the way, you can work in technology companies in non-technical roles. There's sales, there's HR, there's finance. There's a lot of different routes. Um, but in particular, if you are going down maybe more of an engineering route, the numbers are still going to be worse. You know, you're still going to be one of X, which is a lower number in your class. Um, and, you know, right now we're searching for, you know, three out of 10. It's not even five out of 10. Wow. Yes. Three out of 10 to get to a better ratio um, of women in these classes, but also in technology companies, et cetera. So I think that just know that there is that support, that if you feel like you don't belong in that room, mm -hmm. you might be more likely to drop out. And so how mm. can we support either each other in that room? How can you grab friends and go back to that class? How, if yes. you see you're one of only two women in a group, how can you support each other? But not only us supporting each other, how does everyone else support us? Yes. And what are the programs within companies that can help? I think something that's becoming a best practice in companies is to have employee resource groups 
which just provide your employees of certain marginalized populations a safe place to have dialogue and share experience. How are we educating and mm -hmm. how are we making people feel like they belong are really key to yes. the overall problem. And, and if you look at every piece of that, what are the classes? What are the weeding out mechanisms? What are the mm -hmm. you know, silent rules of how we onboard you in the company that we expect you to know? You're going to find things to do there. You're definitely going to find stuff to do there at, at every company in every environment. Hmm. Wow. There's a lot that stands out in what you're sharing. I mean, I, again, that recoding that you brought up is so important. Um, you know, considering unconscious bias, biases that we all have that come out and we don't really know that it's there. Um, and just that sense of belonging. And sometimes people intuitively, they feel that, or they know that, Hey, you know, I don't feel like I belong in this space. But then you also brought in like, hey, you have to know that you belong here. You have to know that. So there's that level of confidence that also has to come out and knowing that you have the, the skills, the talents um, that are necessary for being in those spaces. And so, I mean, those are some poignant points um, that I'm thinking about. And so do you have, if, if it's okay if I ask, are, were there any silent rules that you remember maybe back in undergrad, undergraduate or graduate experiences that were in some shape or form that you were able to pick up? I think that as, as someone, I mean, I think if you look at me, I look like I should have fit in, if you will, but I didn't for various reasons. And there were all kinds of things. I grew up without a lot of money. Um, I was raised in a mixed uh, religious background. And so I was also celebrating Hanukkah when everyone was doing Christmas. Um, I was very like a studious kind of nerdy kid. And so I didn't always fit in. I was left-handed, you know, like I, there was just like so many little things that I remember just feeling like I didn't fit in. I was yeah. like a 30 year old in a younger person's body. Um, I didn't like to go to social gatherings. Like there was all of this stuff that I think I felt like the opposite of what I was, was what you should be, honestly, mm -hmm. for a very long time. Oh, I also have, it's, it's all braided up right now, but especially when I grew up in New Jersey and on the East coast, like I have crazy curly hair, oh, like it okay. only can look like this because I've moved to a non-humid location. Okay. Okay. So, so I also was sort of like, I don't know, it was clear that straight hair was best. Mm. Right. You know, it, it just like all of these kind of things. I remember just feeling like, oh, it's the opposite of what I was. And so that was already ingrained in me when I got to college. So I don't yes. really remember too much standing out, but I do remember, for example, it wasn't so much academic, but I do remember socially, I went to University of Virginia and a lot of people around me went to church hmm. on Sunday yes. and I was not a churchgoer, but it was very clearly kind of like 
a thing to do and sort of the right thing to do. And I remember sort of like, I don't know, I'll go to church with you. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> right. So I sort of like assimilated yes. for a period of time. And I do think that's initial, our initial instinct when we don't feel like we belong is to assimilate, right? Straighten mm -hmm. our hair, um, be quieter, try to be more social, whatever it is, instead yes. of embracing ourselves. And so I very clearly remember that. And then when I got to the workplace, feeling like, again, I was sort of like, a little too quirky, a little too this, yes. a little too that. And it took, it took me a really long time to embrace myself and just be like, yeah, I'm a five foot one quirky gal. Yes. You know, like <laughs> this is what you get. This is what you get. Um, and sort of that's going to be my journey. And I'm not going to go back to business school because that's not my journey. And, mm -hmm. and all of that type of stuff. And I, I think that I don't know. Very, I, I feel like it turned into a therapy session, but yes, <laughs> I had experience and it took me a while, I think, to figure out that I could be myself kind of like yes. the, it gets bad. It gets better narrative, but it took me too long. And I, so I say in the book, what if we could speed that up for everyone? What if we could speed it up five years, 10 years, 15 years? Like, just think about the energy we're wasting and the human intelligence and capital yes. we have. Everyone's trying to be something they're not or thinking they have to be different than they are, um, thinking they can't be a manager, thinking they can't be this yet. That's, I think, a big driver for me, a big driver for the book, but a big driver for like my personal mission. Why should anyone go through that? Yes. And I'm, one of the books that um, I did read is called Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. And she talks a lot about that. So when you're bringing up that in terms of the energy that's spent, um, especially when people don't feel comfortable or they can't be themselves, or there are particular perceptions about one per a, a person that weighs on that community, um, it expend it wastes time, um, um, energy that could be redirected into productivity. And so, I mean, I, I just kind of saw I saw parallels with it. And so I think that that's really important to consider being able to show up as yourself and who you are. Elena, can you tell us more about your book, The Adventures of Women in Tech? The, the parts of my book were very intentionally, there were three parts of the book and the first part of the book was you belong in tech, right? And because there's really no reason why you couldn't be. The jobs are diverse. They're across all different fields, skills, et cetera. Um, there are small companies, large companies, everything in the middle, right? There's companies that are technology companies. There's companies that are in other industries, but they have a technology arm because they have to, most companies have to have some piece of technology, whether it's just their website, whether it's their product, whatnot. So there are so many options that there's really no reason. So I think that that's why the first part of the book is so important to me. 
not to sort of say like, oh, everyone can come and it'll be painless, but just mm. to say everyone could come. If you're sitting there and thinking it couldn't be you, let me mm. show you all the stories from these different women. And there's no predictable path. There's no one path. And there's lots of jobs, lots of ambitions, lots of different ways they describe themselves. So it could be you. But very intentionally, I then went into the second part of the book, which is like, okay, but women have trouble. What do they have trouble with? Where do they feel like because they're a minority, they have to do more? Where do they feel like um, that certain societal things that are across all industries, honestly, like women having to be nice, women having to be the caretakers, women having to take care of each other and support each other on top of it all. Um, and then families or personal lives, how to have them in a, a really um, busy, fast-paced industry. So I wanted to go through that and tell the stories to show people that they weren't alone, right? If you're, if you're there, other people are having them. But also to show people that they were navigable, right? Women got through them. They made some progress with them. They're thinking about them, et cetera. That they weren't the end, of why they were there. And then the last part of the book very intentionally gives them some tools. Yes. You know, some things that, you know, repeatedly women talked about, whether it's finding support yes. or whether it's learning how to ask for what they want and what they need. And I really wanted to make sure that people did feel like there was somewhere to go with that. And then I even show at the end of the book, why women leave. And I think that why women leave is often multiple factors. So I guess the last part of my answer would be that if you're outside of tech and you're looking at the news articles, you think that it's basically motherhood and toxic environments. <sighs> hmm. but, but if you dig in, if you see more, if you talk to women, mm -hmm. you'll see what you often see, which is that it was no one thing. It was a series of things. Mm. And it was over time. They mm -hmm. want, they came in because they wanted to change the world, but over time, their job was really a lot of red tape. Um, they came in because they wanted career opportunity and to learn things, but over time they'd ended up not, you know, like they, maybe they had a good trajectory at first, but it had sort of petered out. Um, and maybe sort of salary and whatnot had also sort of followed yes, that path. I remember and, that. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, the last one being sort of like maybe maybe the people were great at first, but over time, I don't know, a lot of them left, whatever, maybe mm -hmm. the culture in that particular team wasn't great, whatnot. So for me, it was like a lot more diagnosable. You could go talk to your team members and see where are they weak? Where are they feeling weak about this? And you could almost predict before they would leave that they would leave. You couldn't totally because you don't know all the life stuff people are dealing with. So, so you couldn't, you couldn't know totally. But I think that often we blame those two things and then we sort of accept them. Oh, well, we'll have less, we'll have less women. Hmm. But that's not true. That's not true. Yes. First of all, you can manage, you can help those factors, but you can also continue to hire and retain more women. Hmm. And then that'll change the dynamics as well. Yeah. So Yes. Yeah. I mean, very long answer, but I think there's a ton we can do. There's a ton you can do simply by joining. Yes. <laughs> by, by staying. But, but there's also, I think, a ton you can do by voting with your feet if it's not a great place for you.
right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily writing off tech entirely, but Mm -hmm. maybe you did end up in a bad environment and you should feel like you can move on and find the right place for you. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that will help fund the great teams and kill the bad teams. Hmm. Yes. Fund the great companies, kill the bad companies, right? Just if we know we can do that. Yes. It sounds like, uh, from listening to you, it sounds like a market analysis in a way. And it seems like we're in the midst of a bit of a correction right now in the United States when it comes to the job market. I don't know if we could call it a correction, but there's a lot that's happening, especially now. It does feel that way. I mean, a lot of people are resigning and moving on. It feels like a lot of people have said, I'm not going to put up with what that was before, Mm -hmm. or I've found a new passion, or I've recentered on an old passion that I had, or whatever it is, or I want to be closer to my family, or I don't want to commute, or whatever it is. So I do feel like it's kind of a correction in a way. Yes. Um, But I don't think it necessarily has to come at the cost of women. I Mm -hmm. think that there's a ton of opportunity for women to find really relevant, amazing careers, and we should demand them. And so I, so one of the things that stood out inside of the book um, was that even that ask, I think I have a sticky note right there because it was like the ask. And so how do, so going through that process of asking, a lot of times I, I do see there's a bit of a timid nature when it comes to women asking because it could be perceived differently. And so in the midst of it being perceived differently um, in, in the face of that, like what encouragement would you give to women beyond ask, especially if they face a lot of rejections? Mm, yes. So ask is one of the tools I put in the book and really that we have to get very good and very good, at, very comfortable at asking. I say that not without knowing that it can be hard because it was probably the thing that I was the worst at. And also that we've essentially been over time, I think, taught not to ask, particularly women, because we were rewarded over the years. Oh, wait, I have a visitor. Hi, I'm recording. Hello, how are you? This is Cole. He can't hear you because I have the headphones on, but okay. he would like me to make dinner and I will make you dinner in five to 10 minutes. Okay. I know you're not eating the Thai food. We understand. We understand. <laughs> All right. Chicken nuggets will, are, are on their way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Five to 10 minutes. We got it. We got this covered. Um, So, and his like feet are literally, what's so funny is like, you know, you're like, you're like desperately trying to have a, a, like a professional background. And literally he's like, his feet are like right here. The dog is on the table behind my computer. Like this is, this is real life, everyone. Yes. I love it. I love it. Okay. So, oh my gosh. Remind me of the question. No, don't play with the light. Um, I totally, I'm. Oh, oh my god. Asking, asking. I almost asking. blame. Asking. We blame yes. asking. All right. Um, asking. So yes, yeah, so I wasn't good at it. And I think that it's in the book to encourage us to start to practice, to practice small. 
Because I think what happens is like when we're young, we see that we're rewarded for just sitting in class and doing the work and getting it done. You know, not being that kid that constantly asks yes. whatever it is. Like, and so we, we know, and then in our early jobs, we see it too right? Like, oh, don't pipe up and ask. Don't keep asking. Yep. But then you get to tech and tech rewards people who challenge authority or ask questions and think of ideas and push the narrative and ask for what they want and all of that type of stuff. And you're trying to figure out like, how can I do it? Hmm. It isn't even really what my background was from or um, in the book, a Asian woman says, you didn't question authority in my house. Hmm. Yep. How am I supposed to show up at work and now question authority, right? Like that's not natural, right? And so there are these things where we have to start practicing and we have to find our safe ways to do it, right? Start with something small. Is it just in a meeting where you ask a question? Don't, mm -hmm. don't maybe start with asking for a raise if you're intensely uncomfortable doing that. Right? Like, yes. Start, start with something small, asking in a meeting or asking if you can lead that meeting or asking if you can head up that conference next year or whatever it is. What are like those little stepping stones that you can take and definitely use your support system to help you think through how can you ask? What's a good way to ask? Mm -hmm. I find, for example, that say I'm going in to ask for a salary you know, increase, or even just to tell my boss that money motivates me. Yes. I will often say, Hey, if I can't ask who can, I'm a senior hmm. woman and I, I am in here, not just for myself, but for others. And that helps me with two things. Number one, it helps me get over this like humble thing that I have that will like make me not ask. Mm-hmm. But it also helps deal with societal's reaction, which is that because women are supposed to be the caretakers, mm -hmm. when we go in and we ask for something for ourselves, often we, we get a bad reaction from people. And so using the we tactic, it's covered in my book, but I definitely use it in my life. You know, going in and talking about the successes of my team. It does great for me because it shows how I'm successful too but it mm -hmm. also is a we, right? I'm speaking for my team. Mm -hmm. And so it helps with a lot of these things that maybe feel like penalties and mm -hmm. have taught us to hold back or maybe would continue to be penalties in your environment. And you can really look around and see what works best, right? Watch others, get advice. Yes. There's an ERG, right? If there's an employee resource group, kind of consult. That's why they're really helpful. Um, but I think that, it's a bit by bit thing. It's not okay. a leap into the fire thing. Yes. And that's good to, I mean, that's good to hear. Cause a lot of times, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and ask, <laughs> but there has to be a bit of strategic thinking. Would you say in the midst of that? And just being also um, being able to observe too and know your environment. I think so. Now, if you've already grasped your environment or you're really confident, by all means go in and ask, but I think pay attention to still, even in that, I think there's a little bit of trial and error. And pay okay. attention to what works, what doesn't work, and 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 uh, adjust. Nope. Right now, what I would say is, just like I said earlier, if you have tried everything you can try, and they are not responding to your asks, sometimes it's not you, sometimes mm. it's them, 
Okay. And so I do think there is something, and again, I talk about this in the book where we have to, as women also feel okay, that it's okay to move on. It's okay Mm -hmm. to leave if it is not servicing us. And, but again, society has coded us where we're very likely to think, oh, I'm staying for my team. I'm staying for my this. Mm -hmm. I'm staying until that. And I do think that it's okay to think that way, but you sort of have to say for how long, what's your timeline and what will you try? And if you've tried all those things, when will you move on? Hmm. Um, Because, you know, I don't want people to be sitting there listening to my first answer and be like, okay, I'll just wait and I'll keep trying. No, there is a certain point where like, if they're not going to give you the raise, well then go check out the market and see if you can give yourself the raise. Yes. Yes. And so um, I also wanted to talk, of course, we cannot leave without talking about motherhood and also the future, the future of work. And so what is the future of work for women, especially mothers? What does it look like? Yeah. I mean, I could make a lot of money if I knew that exactly, but like, ah, I could really get ahead of this curve. I do think it is good that we are seeing a move towards flexible workplaces, towards people of all genders saying, I'm not going to work around the clock. I'm not going to do this or that. I want balance in my life. And you're seeing it particularly amongst the younger generation saying, I saw my parents do that. I am not signing up for that. That is not Mm. what I'm going to do. That really makes companies figure it out. Because when it's just you or me saying, I need work-life balance for my kid, the company can keep doing things the same way. They can keep hiring whoever they are to like keep or have those people work around the clock. And so you can still be the person who looks like they don't work as hard, even if you do, because you prioritize really great, right? You, you know, there's still those optics and then those optics force us back into the machine and I'm hitting the microphone. I'm so excited. Um, (laughs) Yes. So I do think this time period gives us an opportunity. Now I'll still say, I feel like it's a little bit of an experiment, meaning that we went through all of this during the pandemic and people got comfortable with remote work, but now some people will go back to the office and some people will stay remote and I think it will be interesting to see how the environment, is it like a rubber band and we just kind of eventually go Mm. back to where we were or have Mm -hmm. we stretched what's possible and we will really change things. And so I am really hardened by what's going on, but I do think we have to monitor and all of us, if we're in the position of leadership, we have to really monitor and support what's going on and be inventive and figure out ways to support this new workplace. Otherwise, if we're passive, Mm. we'll just kind of creep back, I think, Mm. Um, because we all have patterns, right? And if now as people go back to the office, it's really easy to just make decisions by talking in hallways and leave Rebecca out who moved to Des Moines. Um, It's, that's, that's going to send a message. If your VPs all still work around the clock and email all the time, that's going to send a message. Mm -hmm. If certain time zones seem to get all the great projects and others don't, that's going to send a message. So we've got, we still got work to do, but all of this flexibility 
really does help women. It's one of the number one things women have been asking for from the workplace. And so I think that it's looking better. <laughs> yes. Yes. But we got to see. We have, we have to see. And so I'm, I'm really hoping <laughs> that when we talk about flexibility, um, that that is something that is taken into consideration. I'm also thinking about the caregiving. When we think of this, um, this generation, they're going to be aging. And a lot of people are deciding to age in place. So you have children on one hand, and then we also have parents and our elders on the other. So it's, it's really going to be interesting yes. um, what the next 10 years will hold. Elena, how do you find joy? Oh, how do I find joy? I think it's, I think it's been in the moments. I feel like that's really trite, but I do think as like a mother, you have a lot of these little moments with your kids and they're just like these beautiful bubbles, I guess. And you sort of like, if you don't observe them and appreciate them, they sort of pop and they move on really quickly. Mm. Oh, wow. But then I know I just made that up. (laughs) (laughs) I just made that up on the spot, but it does, it feels like that. And you forget, you forget that little moment. And actually, while I think there's terrible things about social media, I actually love that a lot of us share those little moments now, right? Like you get those fun little quotes that your kids say that you'd otherwise forget. I love that piece of social media a ton where the kid just says, that's like so perfect. And then it reminds you a year later and you're like, oh, yeah, that was, that was great. Um, And so I do think that because that started that way with my kids, I also feel like over time I've embraced that in general in my life, right? Like just what is like, like I never used to be in yoga, into yoga. I found it boring, but now there's something about 30 minutes of yoga and just (laughs) in that moment, in that mindset, yes. embracing that and feeling it for what it is. And yeah, I feel like I'm really growing up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a common thread. So I've been asking people about that. Like, how do they find joy? And it's always about those moments and really just taking those moments in. And so that's just really something to consider and, and reflect on, at least on my end, yeah. as I listen. Well, I think there's the modern thing where people have gratitude journals and things like that. So we're yes. probably getting trained by all of our therapists on this as well. <laughs> so that's why it's really a whole thing now. Um, but yeah, no, I do think there's there's a real truth to it. Yes, this has been I this has been awesome. It's been incredible to talk and also to listen to you and also to talk about your book. <laughs> I shared it here, The Adventures of Women in Tech and also your journey um, and Adventures of Women in Tech, how we got here and why we stay. And so incredible book. I, I believe it should be required reading, especially for um, especially secondary and post-secondary for our students who are matriculating. Nice. I do. Well, I from, need- from your your mouth to everyone's ears, let's do it. Let's do it. So this has been wonderful. Thank you, Elena. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. With me, it is always about connection and elevating the voices of others. If there are any questions, please send me an email at info at takejoyandlearning.com 
Or if there is a compelling story that you want to share, I am open and ready to listen. And so my hope is that you are able to find joy in the small moments each and every day.